Amen. Well, today we are talking on the final statement of our core uh, DNA, of who we are as a church. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at who we are as a church, as not just gathering house church, but who we are as the church. Because the reality is, is that when we get done meeting on Sundays, that church isn't over. We're just done gathering. Church still happens. Church should still be happening. Even when we leave, even in we, when we go into the week, that we are the church, this is just a place we gather. This is just a place we come together to celebrate what God is doing. And so we've gone over these statements and... Uh, as I was praying uh, months ago, uh, a few months ago on what we talk about, what we look uh, into in scripture, God began to put it on my heart to say, well, they need to know who Gathering House is and who we're called to be. And so we went over uh, for the last few weeks, these core statements. And the final one that we're going over today is that we exist for people to experience authentic relationship with him. If we want to talk about why we exist on this earth, why God has placed us on this earth, it is because we are called for a purpose to continue to share the name of Jesus. Because here's the reality. God could have kept relationship perfect and said, I'll create you and bring you right to heaven. We didn't have to spend time here on earth. We didn't have to be born. We could have just been created in heaven and none of the bad stuff ever would have been around. But there is a reason and a purpose behind what God did in his creation. And while we may not understand all of it, then the incredible magnificence of God, we exist here on earth for people to experience and to understand that they too can have relationship with God. We exist as a church, as, as a people, that that is our heart, that that is why we interact. That is why God brings people into our circles, people into our lives, so that we can help them to know who God is. I don't know if anybody knows this about me, but I am an extrovert. I love people. I look for opportunities to be around people. Right now, I work from home. It kills me. Um, my dog will not interact with me like people do. Um, and my wife also works from home, but this is how it goes. I'll be like working on the computer. I'll be like, oh, hey, babe. And she's like, I'm, I'm working. Because she is not an extrovert. She's an introvert. And when she's talking and working at the same time, it doesn't work. And so we've had this dynamic where I'm always trying to find ways to be around people, uh, which is also a good segue. If you want to have coffee, tell me. I would love to have coffee with you. I will give you my phone number. Let's have coffee. I love people. I need people. Okay, that was not, it's not in my notes, but I just, but I have interactions with people. I'm, I'm always spending time with people and, and, and getting to know people. And here's what I notice. There's a lot of people that I get to interact with. I'm the type of guy that I'll spark up a conversation with a guy in a store. Literally, my wife, it blows her mind. I was standing in line for chicken wings in Publix and found out that this guy had moved here from Hawaii. He was a lion trainer for Cirque du Soleil. And like, I come out, and I'm like, babe, I just met the coolest guy. And she goes, how? I was like, oh, he was just in line, and I was talking to him. We were talking about chicken wings and then life and then what we were doing. And, 
And it blows her mind, but I love talking to people. But here's what I notice when I talk to people. There are a lot of people that I interact with that need to be rescued. There are a lot of people that we encounter day in and day out that need to be rescued. And I, here's what I love about what we get to do, about the calling that God has placed on our lives. It is one thing to be rescued, but it's another thing to be rescued. And then the, the person, the, the, the son of God, the guy that rescues you, tells you a way and shows you a way that you never have to be rescued again. It is one thing to be drowning and to have somebody save you, but it is a completely different aspect when the one who saves you says, hey, let me save you from your drowning, save you from where you're at, and let me show you how you'll never drown again. You see, that, that's the differential between where people are at and where they need to be. Because there's a lot of people that need to be rescued and they find rescue in a lot of things. But finding rescue in an authentic relationship with Christ is so much bigger. And I think that's, as a church, is what we, as the church, need to help people understand. That not only do we serve a God that wants to save us and rescue us, but he wants to show us a life and a way we live where we actually don't ever have to be rescued in the same way again because we get to be in relationship with him. And so I want to talk today about what authentic relationship with God really looks like. And I love the incredible way that God narrated existence. And I want to start really, if we look at what relationship with God looks like, we actually have to start in the beginning, in Genesis what does relationship with God look like? Well, in Genesis 2, verses 15 through 24, this is what relationship with God looks like. It says, the Lord of God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You see, I love that because it wasn't that Adam had to earn it. It wasn't that Adam had to work hard for it. God just gave it to him. He gave him this incredible space, this incredible garden, and God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but there were two trees that he was not to eat from, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. It says, you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Well, what a task, right? But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. This is the beginning of relationship. Authentic relationship with God. 
where they walked in the garden and they spent time with God and there they were. But if you know the story of the beginning of creation, then you know that something changed. Something happened. Sin entered in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they, they messed up this perfect relationship with God. They created this divide in the relationship with him. And I look at that and I go, man, like there's so many things that we could look at in this and, and the, the beauty of it, yet they messed it up. And, and quite frankly, they messed it up for all of us. They put every single human being ever created on this earth on a new path that was not there until they sinned. But when I read this, I don't get to read it just in isolation because I know that that's not where the Bible ends, that there's more. I get to read this and I get to look at it and I go, well, I know that my God the creator of the universe still wants to be in perfect relationship with mankind. He still wants to be in relationship with his most prized creation, the creation that he created in his own image. And that's why I think this is a perfect time to look and a perfect season to look at what authentic relationship with God looks like. Because I see what Adam and Eve Messed up is repaired in perfect restoration. And it all starts in Matthew chapter one. In Matthew one, verse eight, it says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph her husband was a faithful man to the law, yet he did not uh, want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, but, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, as, uh, Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, when I think about Christmas, I think about the birth of Jesus, I think we've gotten away sometimes of really the brevity of what Jesus did for us, of what that really meant for us, that he repaired something that had been broken in the very beginning. That he gave us the ability to have God with us. I love how in, in scripture, I'm gonna jump over to Luke because Luke continues the story of the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter two, verses one through seven, we continue on and it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own 
town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know, I read that. And I take a moment to look at every single word and let each word of the scripture impact my heart. And I look at that and I go, I know my God still wants to be in authentic relationship with his creation. The Lord clearly shows us this by giving his only begotten son to come down on this earth to make this possible for us to continue to be in relationship with God just like he created for Adam and Eve. We have the ability to still be in perfect relationship with God because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. I look at this and I think to myself, would I have done what Jesus did? Would you have done what Jesus did? He swapped a spotless heavenly castle for a grimy stable. He exchanged the worship of angels for a company of killers. He, he could have held the universe in his palm, yet he gave it up to float in the womb of a maiden. He gave it up for us. If you were God, would you have given it up to sleep in straw and to be clothed in a diaper? If you knew that those you loved, those you created would laugh in your face, would sentence you to death, would you still care? And I look at this story and I look at what God did for us on the day that we celebrate is Christmas. And I look at that and I say, Christ made that choice to give it all up. He humbled himself. He went from commanding angels to sleeping in straw, to human flesh, to being this place where he could hold the stars to clutching Mary's finger. The very palm that held the universe, took a nail from a soldier. Why? Because that's what love does. It puts others before itself. Because love goes the distance. Christ came down and he came from limitless eternity to be with us, confined here on earth for us. And he didn't have to. He didn't have to do that. I'm telling you, when you begin to think about the fact that at any moment he could have given up and said, you know what? It's not worth it. This isn't worth it. He could have given up becoming one of us, he could have given up at any step of the way. When he saw the size of the womb, he could have stopped. When he saw 
how tiny his hands would be, he could have stopped. When he could have heard how gentle his child voice would be, he could have stopped. But he didn't. The first whiff of that stinky stable, realizing that he's not coming as a king, but a king in a different way, he could have stopped. That first feel of the cold air as he's wrapped in a blanket, he could have stopped. The first scrape of his knee, the first time he blew his nose, the first time that Joseph gave him a chore, he could have stopped. But he didn't. He didn't because he has love. Because that's what authentic relationship with God is. It's love. And I, I think there are so many people that walk through this lifestyle of what they believe is Christianity and it is something where they say, I want, I want the Lord to provide for me. I want him to take care of me and I want God to make a way for me but I don't, I don't want to be in relationship with God. Sometimes we are very quick to treat God like a vending machine. When I need something, I'll go up, hit my buttons, A7. This is, I need this provision right now. We wait. Hope it doesn't get stuck in the glass. Got to bang the machine around. God, are you, God, did you hear me? I hit A7. I hit it. Well, I'm waiting for it. And God's going, no, 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 I, I, I'm not a vending machine that just spits out the blessings or the provisions when you need it. This is a relationship. And I think we have to be at a place where we understand that we cannot ask the Lord to just provide and make a way for us spiritually if we are not in a place where we're, where we're in relationship with God. If, if we say, well, God, I, I want to I know you. I want to be kind of in relationship with you, I'll, I'll come to church, I'll listen to Caleb, I'm gonna, I got a couple Bibles that I own, and I might open one every so often and see if there's some good stuff for me when I need it, when I need an encouragement. Come on, how many of y'all done that? And this part. Oh, that's a terrible verse. No, uh, this one. <laughs> Trying to find that one, the boundaries of Canaan. Oh, no, no, that's not the right one. I don't need boundaries, God. This one. Fulfill your vow to God. No, that's not it. This one. Absalom kills Anon. No, that's not it. Hey, we're trying to find something like, we're, like, like the Bible's just a little quick guide. And we're scrolling through the Bible trying to find that little nugget that we need. But we're not willing to sit in his presence. We're not willing to sit and be in relationship with him. If we don't want to be in spiritual relationship, if we don't strive to be, if we don't live out a spiritually authentic relationship with him, then we, we can't just go to God and say, all right, I know, hey, I don't know if you remember me, it's been a while since we talked, but can you do this for me? See, that's, that's not authentic relationship. You see, God created man and woman. And when he did that, he completed his masterpiece. God breathed life 
He breathed his very breath into Adam and into Eve. They were his special handiwork. And even though sin entered the world because of choices that were made, God also provided redemption for their sin. You see, God created people with a freedom to choose. The only reason we can have authentic relationship is because we have the choice to choose authentic relationship. If I force somebody into a relationship, that's not authentic. We get this because we have a choice to reject him or accept him. Our ancestors have had a choice. Adam and Eve had a choice to disobey God and the consequences have been handed down. We live with those consequences. But what God gave Adam and Eve, he also gave to us a soul. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. This is not a chemical fluke. This is not some anatomic surprise. We bear the very breath of God in our lungs. The very breath of God, the scripture in the, the Hebrew, the very breath of God is the pneuma. The very breath of God, the pneuma, the breath of life is inside of us. And here's what I love. When Jesus died on the cross and he breathed his last breath, the word is pneuma. The very breath of God left him. It exited his body. And he died. But he died so that he could overcome death. And when we read in Acts, when the Spirit of God, after Jesus is there and the Spirit of God falls on the disciples and those that were in the upper room with him, if you look in Scripture and it says that the Spirit of God falls, you know what word fell on them? Numa. The very breath of God fell onto his people. You see, the very breath we breathe, the very gift that God gave us in the birth of a son, not just any son, but the son of God himself, the very breath that left Jesus and then returned to us in Acts when the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, fell on his people and fell on us, that is the very breath of God, the same breath of God that was breathed into Adam. We were his masterpiece. He exhaled himself into you to make you a living being. See, our soul, the very breath of God, the very gift that he gave us distinguishes us from all of creation. To the camel, he gave a hump. The giraffe, a flagpole neck, but he reserved his breath and the soul for us. For us, we bear his stamp. We do things that God does. 
because we were created in his image. We think, we question, we reflect. The very things and the very nature of God is inside of us, and just like Adam, we have a soul. And just like Adam, we've used our souls to disobey God. But it doesn't end there. You see, while we have allowed sin to separate us from relationship with God, God had a plan. Because when you look at scripture and if you read Genesis by itself and you never read anything else, you'd get to Genesis 2.17 and it says, you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it, you will most certainly die. I mean, doom and gloom. You can reread the warning, when you eat from it, you will certainly die. You see, sin entered the world and resulted in Adam and Eve's immediate death. Oh, but death of what? Because you read scripture and you go, well, hold on a second. Their bodies, no, 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 they continue to breathe. Their brain waves flowed, their eyelids still blinked, their bodies functioned, but their hearts were hardened. You see, the death that entered them was not the very life that they breathed, but it was a death of relationship, perfect relationship with God. They stopped trusting God. Their perfect relationship with their maker died. You see, prior to this act, they followed God like sheep, like the sheep that would follow their shepherds. They, they, they would sit there and God would speak and they would listen in perfect relationship with God. He would give them assignments and they fulfilled them. They were naked but unashamed, transparent and unafraid. Yet just like a drop of ink into a glass of water, everything became cloudy. This stubborn deed darkened their souls. Everything changed. God's very presence stirred panic in the life of Adam and Eve. Adam ran like a kid caught raiding the candy store. Like a kid caught in the pantry trying to get a little bit of candy. He runs and hides and in Genesis 3, 9 and 10 it says, but the Lord God called to man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Intimacy with God ceased and separation from God began. I'll read this and I always wonder why Adam didn't ask God for forgiveness. Why? Why didn't Adam... Ask God to forgive him. He didn't. And because of the sin that they committed, they were banished from the Garden of Eden. But I love that the story of relationship doesn't have to stop there. Because we read in scripture and we see that from the very first prophecy in Genesis of the coming of a son to the over 50 prophecies of the son of God coming to make a way 
I love what it says in Isaiah, one of my favorite prophecies of the Lord in Isaiah 7, 14, it says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we will call him Emmanuel. But if you read the story of the birth of Jesus in Matthew, I think when we look at authentic relationship, there's an aspect of the birth of Jesus that we miss. There's an aspect of the entirety of the gospel that we miss. Because if I look in Matthew and I turn to my scripture and I go, okay, well, Matthew starts out in Matthew chapter one and we look at Matthew chapter one here. People miss it. They miss the importance of Matthew chapter one, verse one. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it begins to list Abraham with his father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judea and his brothers. And if we're being honest, how many of you started out reading Matthew and just jumped over that and got to the good part? Yeah, 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 okay, there was 14 generations all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And here's where Joseph accepts Jesus as a son. Okay, this is the good part, right? Here we go in Matthew 1.18. That's where the birth of the Messiah gets announced, and we skip over the genealogy of Jesus. But Matthew was sure to leave in the best parts, the only one to leave in the best part. And I say it's the best part because when I read this, not only is it the best part, but in, in the beginning of Matthew, it is the most important part to the birth of Jesus. Because Jesus was sure to display the bad apples of his family tree. If you look at this list of his heritage of his family. I mean, you don't even have to tiptoe into Matthew's gospel to begin to see some questionable characters in here. Some people that when you read and you go, man, Jesus came from a really questionable bunch. I mean, you look at Rahab, who was a Jericho harlot. You got Grandpa Jacob sitting here who was slippery enough to, to warrant an electric tracking bracelet. And then you've got David, who, who quite frankly had a personality that was just as irregular as the Picasso painting. One second, he's writing beautiful psalms to God. The next second, he's over here seducing his captain's wife. And I look at this and I go, man, Jesus could have erased any one of these names from the list and said, yeah, we probably shouldn't put that guy in there. He did some pretty rough stuff. Oh, no, no. But Jesus, you see, that was important. The heritage was important. Jesus hung his family's dirty laundry out on the neighborhood clothesline for everybody to see because I, I, here's the deal. When Jesus came down on this earth to live in an imperfect world, to bring a perfect peace to the world, he did so in a way so that he could stand here, so that we could read the word and see that what we walk through, Jesus walked through. Because your family's got some dirty laundry too. Maybe an uncle with a prison record. Maybe a dad who never came home. A grandparent that ran away with a coworker. Uh, the reality is, is that if your family tree has bruised fruit, maybe you're the bruised fruit in your family tree that, that we get an opportunity to look at that and Jesus can sit here and say, 
I've been there too. I have been there too. Charlie, you can come on up. You see, the phrase, I've been there, that, that's the chorus in Christ's theme song. Why did he come down on this earth to be born as a baby to sleep in a manger to be wrapped in clothes? Because we need to know that he's been there too. To those that are lonely, Jesus whispers, I've been there. To the discouraged, Christ nods his head and he looks at us and he sighs and he says, I've been there. To those that are hurting, he wraps his arm around us and he says, I've been there. To those that are broken, we feel the warmth of him surrounding us as he looks at us and he says, I've been there. See, we get to have authentic relationship with him because Jesus made the choice to be where we've been. To face what we've faced. To feel what we feel. And I look at Christmas. My family loves Christmas. We decorate. We put up the lights. We got the inflatable reindeer in the yard. But it's easy to forget. It's easy to miss. It's easy to get so wrapped up in everything else that is going on with the family coming in town, the bruised fruit, they're gonna be traveling in. And it's easy to miss the why. Why do we exist? Why are we here? Why do we have those family coming into town? Why are we interacting with them? Why did God give us another chance to be with these people? Why did God bring these people into our lives? Because there are people that need to be rescued. There are people that need to know that Jesus has been there too. There are people that need to know that they're not on their own. That as they're sitting there drowning, swimming, trying to keep their head above water, and I'm telling you, when I, when I think about this and I think about the outreach that we did you want to talk about people experiencing their head below water when a mom and a dad sit there a single mom sits there pregnant with children thinking to herself there's no way I could provide Christmas presents and while that may be what Christmas was about for them they were drowning and we had an opportunity to reach out our hand Say, no, no, you don't have to drown anymore. Let me pull you up above water just a little bit. That we plant a seed and say, this momentary lapse from drowning can become your eternity. Can become back in perfect, authentic relationship with God. 
And so I, I ask, I challenge that as we move into this Christmas season, you go home and you look at the tree, real or fake, whatever it is, and you look at the ornaments on there. And if you're like me, I look at my tree and I see all the ornaments that should be in a different place and the lights that aren't quite right and the tree that's dying because I forgot to water it. But if I look beyond that, I challenge you to just take a moment with your family, by yourself, those around you and just say, we celebrate the birth of Jesus because he chose to be where we are. He chose to walk through this. He chose to give us an opportunity to be in authentic relationship with him. And it all started with a birth. <laughs> a birth so powerful that it in ensued this choir of angels, a star that lit up the sky because it was a birth of a savior. That's my prayer as we go into Christmas, as we move into the closing of a year, closing of a season for our lives, moving into a new season, a new year that why we exist, why were we, why we were created that we as a church, as a people, that we exist, we exist for relationship over religion, that we exist for presence over performance, that we exist for encounters over entertainment, that we exist for purpose over perfection, but above it all, that this holiday season, that the birth of Jesus, the very thing that we celebrate with lights and gifts and all of that is celebrated because we exist to be in authentic relationship with him. That's why we celebrate. That's why we get to have this be a season of good cheer. I think that's why God put this place on our hearts. Months ago, before any of this existed, that's why God put this place on our heart because there are people that are drowning that need a savior. And that's my prayer, that this week, this season, it's gonna be crazy. Kids are out of school. They're now at home and the hustle and bustle and everything else is gonna come imploding in. Family will come into town or you're gonna go out of town and life will get crazy. But I ask, I beg, I plead, I implore you, please take a moment, set apart just a moment, if not to just say, God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for allowing him to walk through what I walked through, to be where I've been so that I can be in perfect relationship with him. That's my prayer. That's my challenge. That's my hope. It's what I strive for each and every day to not get caught up in 
everything, but to sit back and go, okay, I get to have authentic relationship with him and I get to help people see what authentic relationship with Christ looks like. I get to be the church, not just come to church, but truly be the church. So as we close, I wanna pray that we would be given those opportunities to extend that opportunity of a savior in this season. Father God, Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you sent your son down on this earth. Jesus, I thank you that you came down here, that you went through what you went through, betrayed by those that were close to you, that you sat here on this earth and you walked through all of that pain and all of that suffering so that we can be brought back into perfect relationship with God. Brought back into perfect relationship with you. God, as we celebrate this holiday season, Lord, I ask, Lord, don't let us forget your family tree. Don't let us forget your lineage as it directly lines to the imperfect nature as to which you were brought into this earth, but the perfection that you brought by coming to this earth. That when we're lonely, that we can remember that you've been there. When we're discouraged, we can remember that you've been there. When we're hurting, that we can remember that you've been there. When we're broken, we can remember that you've been there. We celebrate, not because of the situation we're in, not because of the hurting that we're feeling, but we celebrate because we know we don't have to stay there. That this is only temporary and that you offer a way out, a way into perfect life, perfect relationship with you. And inside of our imperfection, we can find a perfect peace inside of you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.